Um, you're starting to get a lot of attitude. Like, you could easily do this without me. I mean, what was the hint that led you to believe that? Because I've been sending those smoke signals for weeks, girl. When did you just catch on? When did you just join us? <laughs> Hi, Ellen Marsh. Why do you make me the way that I am, <laughs> Patricia? You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the story of a missing person by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. You still calling it Obsessed that Disappeared? I'm not going to lie. I think it's catching on. On the Facebook group, that's what people refer to it as. So I'm sticking to the story. I'm sticking to it. She calls it Obsessed that Disappeared, you guys. Speaking of the Facebook group, join us. It's actually called the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. I mean, it's so fun. At this point, I feel like we just have social media fun and we do a podcast on the side. I totally agree. The podcast supports the social media, not the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Like the Instagram, <laughs> the Facebook is where it's at. And then we also do this podcast thing on the side. You guys also follow us on the Instagram because every Friday night we go live. We call it Friday Night Live. We had over 700 people there last week, girl. It was a blasty blast. And I know. we had trivia on Christmas and stay tuned for more on that. Yeah, I just want to say on the Friday Night Lives, you guys, Ellen and I are all real nice to each other in the intro of these episodes, but then we kind of come for each other on Friday Night Live. You come for me, sis. <laughs> I am delightful. I know. I am delightful. You have a beverage uh -huh. and you turn ornery. <laughs> Remember the time you said, yeah, when you get drunk, you love to tell me what you think of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Disappeared season three, episode six, Into the Woods. Is that what it's called? Sure. Into the Woods and Out of the Woods. And, and home before dark. God. You guys, Disappeared. You can't give a bunch of musical theater kids a title like Into the Woods. This curse is on your house. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> Go. <laughs> oh, my God. This episode tells the story of the disappearance of Jeremy Alex. 28-year-old Jeremy Alex had a carefree approach to life. He worked to live. He didn't live to work. As a teen, he followed the Grateful Dead around the country. He was definitely charismatic and had a sense of humor, and he had that draw. But just before he disappears, Jeremy is discovered in a terrified state. Very frightened, saying that people were threatening to hurt him. Bad guys were trying to hurt him. When extensive searches fail to find him, his family is at a loss. We were questioning whether he was actually lost in the woods or if somebody had done something to him. They suspect someone is hiding the truth. And I truly believe that some of those people did know, never came forward. Is Jeremy the victim of misadventure or foul play? I've already played that worst case scenario in my head multiple ways. Um, all right, girl, I've watched this episode uh, like five times now due to the- You guys, we have had to reschedule this episode. This is the stuff you don't see. You don't know. I have watched this episode. I Basically, I was like talking a lot. I was like, and then Jeremy found out. I was like, just- I know. But we have to watch it. It has to be fresh in our brains before we talk about it. Patrick and I both work the same way. So we know this 
this one pretty well, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, listen, this guy's name is Jeremy Alex. My first note is, oh, we're going to do that last name as first name thing, I guess. Huh? I guess that's what we're doing with this guy? <laughs> I know. That's what we're doing? It's so sexy. I know. You guys, sorry. One more piece of interruption news. Oh. Ellen sometimes comes dressed as in the same color as her headboard. Today, she is directly clashing with it. It's a little hard to look at, girl. A little hard to look at. I don't come to where you work and slap the dick out of your mouth. <laughs> Wow. Okay. What if you actually did do that and I was like, hey, I'm working here. (laughs) I'm working here. So Jeremy Alex, we learned he's a free spirit. He loves playing music and chess and the great outdoors. And again, I say, Jeremy and I do not have a lot in common, girl. Oh, God. The great outdoors, guys. <laughs> it's going to come up a lot. And I'll tell you, I appreciate the great outdoors, but I'd rather swallow a pair of jeans. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> come on now. Where do you come up with this stuff? And while we're on the subject, the whole free spirit thing. Yeah. How do people live without the motivation of like stress and deadlines. I don't understand it. Yeah, it's weird. So, you know, I grew up in Northern California and I was born in Berkeley, California, raised in Oakland, California. Uh And I've always sort of had a New York sensibility like in my soul. But when I go home to like Berkeley, I'm like, is anyone in a hurry to do anything? I know. Because Belfast, Maine, the way they describe Belfast, Maine is exactly like Berkeley. That's really the way of life. It's a town where all the hippies move to, and that's just their mantra up there. I don't get it. And so his stepmother tells us, she says, Jeremy was a minimalist, which is fine because that's what it was like in Belfast. And I was like, honey, I think there's a difference between like not owning shit and being an actual minimalist. Right. You yeah. What I, mean, I mean, when I think of minimalist, I think of like a pristine apartment yes. that's all yes. white and beige. Yes. Yeah. I just think Jeremy yeah. didn't have a lot of stuff. Because in contrast to that, she tells us, up in Belfast, Jeremy's lived in places that had outhouses and no bathrooms. So he lived in homes that had outhouses. I know. Instead of plumbing. Now look, if that's how you want to live, that's fine. It's cold in Maine, sis. Oh, we're gonna get to how cold it is for sure. Imagine a Maine winter's morning where you gotta put your pants on and go to the outhouse. No, that's a pass. Girl! That's a no from me, dog. <laughs> Absolutely not. (laughs) That idea is a little pitchy. It's a little pitchy. I wanted to tell you that I am a minimalist. Oh, are you? Yeah. Hmm. I have minimal time for your bullshit. (laughs) Oh, do you take that one to the comedy cellar and work it out on an open mic night, girl? I've got jokes. (laughs) I've got jokes. His dad also describes him as a little bit earthy, which I wrote. I always just knew that as code word for lesbian. I grew up in a household of lesbians that all describe themselves as earthy. Oh, weird. He comes from good lesbian stock, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And then I'm sorry, like, we also learned that, like, in this area, in this place called Belfast, Maine, where he lives, the stepmom says, Growing up in Belfast, he just really always liked the juxtaposition of the ocean and the forest and the woods and the mountains. The ocean, forest, woods, and mountains. And again, I said, I have no need for any of that. Yeah, I know. None. I don't need it, girl. I don't need that stuff. I know. What do you need, honey? Tell me the things you need to survive. I need a cocktail. Right. A coffee. Right. And everyone to leave me the fuck alone. So I can work. (laughs) So I can get shit done. 
So it's Saturday, April 24th. We're in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Yeah, and Jeremy's dad and his stepmom, Susan. Now, Jeremy's dad, we're going to breeze over this. We're going to say it really fast. Jeremy's dad is super hot. He's very hot. I'm going to call him Super Hot Dad Ted. Great. And his stepmom, Susan. So Susan is totally a down bitch. Susan is a down bitch. And I would like to take a moment to just shout out step parents. Yes, for sure. stepmom Susan really acts and speaks as if she is Jeremy's biological mom. We do not hear from Jeremy's biological mom. I just want to shout out step parents. It's a super hard job. It's super unforgiving. It's complicated. It's a complicated way to make your way into a family's life and figure out your position. So if you're a step parent and you're listening, I'm giving you a big old virtual hug. It's a hard job. So we learned that he loves chess. He also loves music. One of the driving pleasures and forces in Jeremy's life is music. And one of the bands that he loved was The Grateful Dead. When he was around 17 or 18, he started following the dead. I'm going to say something that I honestly might get like 27 DMs over, but are you ready? Sure. I don't think I know a Grateful Dead song. No, look, if they didn't headline at Lilith Fair, I don't know much about them. Lilith Fair is an all-female lesbian (laughs) concert, you guys, for those of you that don't know. If you want to know about Sarah McLachlan, Uh I got you covered, girl. If you got questions about Melissa Etheridge, the Indigo Girls, Jewel even, I could probably give you whatever you want to know. What about a sensible Katie Lang? Sure, 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 sure. Katie Lang was often at the B stage at the Lilith, but she would be there for sure. But listen, so we learned that Jeremy gets in a van and follows the Grateful Dead, to which I wrote, say it with me, everybody, follow the dead fart van tour. And for about two years, he basically went cross country in a van following the dead. And he made his living selling grilled cheese sandwiches out of the back of the van. So Ted and I would always joke that we knew he wouldn't starve to death because he had grilled cheese. Yeah, for two years. He does it for two years. I'm sorry. Look, he seems like a nice person, but I got to tell you, I am sure that was the fartiest van because we learned that he makes his living selling grilled cheese, girl. I know. I know. A grilled cheese sandwich is a fart factory. That's all the food he's got. I know. That is a lactose nightmare waiting to happen. Absolutely. (laughs) And stepmom Susan was like, well, we always knew he wouldn't go hungry because he always had a grilled cheese. I was like, we can also strive for some better nutritional value in our life, but I don't want to pull at that thread right now. But he also, like, he's selling these grilled cheese out of his van. That's how he's making his living on the Follow the Dead fart van tour. He's making it out of, like, a toaster oven in his fart van. That being said, I'm starving. Me too. Because we had to watch this ten times, every time they would show that grilled cheese, I was like, oh, shit, that looks good. Yeah, I was like, that's not what Jeremy's grilled cheeses look like, but that there looks delicious, ID. ID had some Munster, maybe some Gouda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The props department had a really good time with that, for sure. And please, girl, for the love of God, every time you stopped for a dead show, tell me you aired out the van, girl. Tell me you rolled down the windows and you opened the doors and you aired out the fart van, Jeremy. Are you okay? Tell me you aired it out, sis. (laughs) I just imagined your voice getting higher and higher. Did you air it out? And then Christopher, our loving Christopher, he phones us from underneath a goddamn palm tree in Cancun as he provides the shadiest comment I have heard since we started this podcast. He says, just plain as day. Only five feet, seven inches tall. Jeremy is a short guy. He's He's a a short short guy. guy. I was like... Christopher, dude, come on. You know better self-conscious about their height. Can we tap dance 
jumps around it. Also, like, five foot seven's not that short. Yeah, that's average. Hey, you don't like short guys. There's a really, really hot guy I can think of off the top of my head who's turned out to have quite a successful career that you decided not to date because of his stature. That is correct. <laughs> Some of you might even be able to guess who I'm talking about. And it is for that reason that he is as successful as he is. And I'm sitting in my pajamas with a microphone on my hand, barking in your face. For tuppence. But hey, hey, you know what you did? You found yourself a tall, tall, lean British guy. How'd that go, girl? He was pretty emotionally abusive. And then I broke up with him. And I've just, all the tall ones have actually turned out to be really um, horrible for my soul. Let's talk about that some more. Should we talk about my trauma now? Do you want to do it in order? Chronologically? Do you want to do it alphabetically? Just all the tall ones have turned out to be pretty bad for my soul. So we meet his girlfriend, Suzanne. She is adorable. She's telling us all the things. He's super funny, super magnetic, lights up a room. He has an exuberant personality and, you know, instantly people are attracted and just want to hang out with him because he was fun. You guys, she said lights up a room. She said lights up a room. She really did say lights up a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we, so like, he's this great guy and he's got this great life. But then we learned that by the spring of 2004, friends are starting to get really concerned that he's behaving like strangely. He definitely was not acting himself. He's paranoid. And I believe he was throwing out accusations, false accusations, um, because of this paranoia that, of course, frustrated friends and and left a lot of confusion and he was starting to draw away from people and he was mistrusting people. Right, his personality changes. He starts acting paranoid. He stops trusting his friends and family around him and just does a total 180 and everybody kind of agrees to this fact. So it's Monday morning, April 26th. His dad, Hot Ted, turns on his phone and he sees he's got a message from Jeremy, but it actually isn't Jeremy. It's the cops. They said that they had found Jeremy's cell phone, his keys, his van, and they were in the process of searching for him. When they found his cell phone, they basically saw dad, called my number, left me a message. Right, and they found his van, his keys, his phone, and they just looked in his phone and called, you know, dad in order to get in touch with someone. So stepmom Susan is now involved and she calls Suzanne, the girlfriend. It was probably about 7 a.m. She said the Belfast Police Department called. She said that they have his cell phone and they had found his van and they won't tell her anymore. The police won't tell them very much about what's going on. They just wanted to know if they knew why his van looked like the car had just been abandoned because the keys were in the car. His cell phone was in the car, all of his stuff. Yeah, and they find the van by like a patch of woods. And so it almost looks like, it looks like he kind of like jumped out of the fart van to go pee in the woods and never came back. Right, exactly. So Suzanne and Jeremy are about to move into a new house together. They're actually in the process of it at that time. She goes to the house they're going to move into and the keys were in the door as she was walking in. But when I got to the house, the door was open with the keys in the lock. And all the furniture he had moved was already in the house. 
and it just, it's like white just washes over you and you're just, it's like weird. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, and this is on Monday. So like, we'll learn a little bit more about this later, but Suzanne, the girlfriend, hasn't seen him since Friday. So it's now two days missing. They find the van with the keys in the ignition. They find the apartment literally with the keys in the front door. Yeah. It's very weird. But stepmom Susan says something that on every watch made me, you know, really (laughs) rear my head back. She says, it was shocking, but it's... At the same time, you know, you don't really think anything horrific at that point. You just think something's not right and you drive up hoping that, you know, it's some sort of misunderstanding. Well, you don't think anything horrific right off the bat. And I was like, (laughs) really, Susan? Because I heard a noise in my house last night and I texted all my loved ones goodbye. Patrick Hines did not receive one of those texts. (laughs) But like, I understand that the term like jumping to conclusions is like, you know, an expression. I take it as a directive. (laughs) You know how you and I are exactly the same person? Yes. I think Susan is like the rational version of us. You know what I mean? Right. You, me, and Susan wouldn't hang that often. No. (laughs) Yeah. No. So now we get the Jeremy and Suzanne backstory. So they've been together for more than three years. We see all these old pictures of them. They are so fucking cute, both of them. Yeah. Her with her, like, pink hair. Nobody really, but, like, Katy Perry pulls off that, like, pink hair look. Suzanne really nails it. I mean, also pink. Right, pink. I mean. (laughs) Whoa. You got real emotional about pink real fast, I love pink. Pink is a down bitch. I will send her a sticker. If she would look at it, I would send it to pink in a hot second. I love pink. She is a down bitch. That's true. So Suzanne says that when they first met, she was really drawn to him because he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't do drugs. She goes, He wasn't smoking cigarettes. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't smoking. And... You know, which to me, I was like, wow, that's cool, you know? He was straight edge almost. He was straight edge almost. (laughs) Yeah, he was pretty straight edge. So they had originally met and moved to New York together for some time. And then when they got back to Maine, he kind of started back in a little drug scene again. But it seems like it was serious. Like, they say that, like, I mean, I think we're dealing, like, this is the height of the opioid shit. You know what I mean? And I think that Suzanne is kind of saying that, like, it was really weird because he wouldn't use all the time. Like every six months, he would go on like a weekend binge and I'd be, I'll just keep it out of my face. I don't want to know. It's almost as if, did you get this feeling that she was almost like still protecting his image a little bit? Like she called it a weekend bender here and there. And I'm like, that's kind of not a thing when you're on hard no. drugs. Like, Right, like that's a drinking thing. Yeah. Heroin, not so Heroin much. Heroin is no. an addicting drug. There's more guys. We're going to get into it. So we learned about their last happy day together, Susanna Jeremy. It's Thursday, April 22nd, 2004. They described this day as fun? And we went snowboarding. It was actually a really fun day. We all had fun. It was getting warm because it was in April, but there was still snow and slushy. I don't know, girl. Someone's going to have to explain this to me. They go to a place called Sugarloaf. Now, that sounds great. Yeah, a loaf of sugar sounds awesome. That sounds really good. <laughs> I want to go Sugarloaf. But it t- <laughs> you're going to lose your voice. Okay, you're only allowed one cookie monster an episode. That was it. That was it. <laughs> One cookie monster. So this Sugarloaf place is actually a mountain where they go snowboarding. And then Suzanne has the audacity to look me in the face and say, it was a super fun day of snowboarding, but it was warm and slushy. Everyone go on a journey with me. Okay, I'm here. It's the 
22nd of April. You get in a fart van. You drive to a mountain. You strap a thing to your feet and you go like hurling down a mountain, but it's slushy. Now you're wet and it's cold. So I do have a comment on that. I grew up snowboarding and skiing in Tahoe and it's not slushy. It's powdery. Is this the same period of time where you had the stepmom who was flying her jet all over the country or? You make it sound like we. Tell me again how we were both raised poor, girl. Tell me again how you relate to my government subsidized housing when you're going to Tahoe. I mean, but here's the thing. One of my friends in high school had a cabin. I grew up around rich people. <laughs> I was the poor person they all took pity on because I made them mm-hmm. laugh. Did your parents own their home? Yes, my parents did own their home. Okay. You know who owned my home? The federal government. And this isn't a poor off. I still babysat from the time I was 11 years old. My mom worked retail her whole life. I mean, Bob, can we get a quick replay of Ellen talking about skiing in Tahoe? I just want to hear it one more time. I grew up snowboarding and skiing in Tahoe. Oh, thank you, girl. Thank you, girl. That was... All right. But no, all I'm saying is when I snowboarded on the East Coast, it is a different ball game. It is painful. You go up the hill, you go down the hill, you go up the hill, you fall, you break your ass, you go back and you drink hot cocoa. Absolutely not. It is not fun on the East Coast. Tell me again about which coast is your favorite to go skiing (laughs) on, girl. Tell me again. Tell me again. (laughs) I grew up snowboarding and skiing in Tahoe. I'm just saying some of us had to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. My bottom line is every one of these goddamn episodes is about an outdoorsy person. And I am not here to blame the victims. But if y'all stayed inside more, maybe there'd be fewer episodes. Do you think they did it to piss you off? (laughs) No, I am feeling reaffirmed as to why I don't have to do the activities. Okay. All right. I'm with you. I'm going to support you. I'm a supportive friend. I'm like a bra. But Jeremy says after they ski all day. So something that you don't know about skiing is skiing or snowboarding is a super exhausting sport. You exert a lot of energy. Which coast is it harder on, though? Is it harder on the east? Like, which coast, you know? Um, Sorry, I can't. Is it down? Is it checked down by your feet? What, girl? The audacity. Where is it? Is it by your feet? Mm-hmm. Okay, pick that up. Where's the gall? Is the gall on the left? <laughs> pick it up out of that box, just mm-hmm. so you have them both together. Great, got it. Okay, great. It. it is exhausting. And he tells Suzanne, you know what? I'm going to go finish up moving stuff. When they get home late in the afternoon, Jeremy seems eager to separate for the night, saying he is busy moving their things into their new house. But Suzanne is suspicious. And here's where I call bullshit on that. You're not spending a whole day after skiing and exerting all that energy. And you're like, you know what I want to do? My feet are cold. My quads are sore. You know what I want to go? I want to go move some shit. (laughs) No, no, you're not, bro. You're going to do (laughs) drugs. And Suzanne totally knows it. And she's like, I imagined, okay, he's probably going to go on a bench. And so... I'm kind of stubborn. Like, once I get my feelings hurt, I kind of, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to call him. He's going to do what he's going to do. He can call me when he's done. And she knows she was right because the next morning, like Saturday morning, he storms into her house all fucked up. She says that he's yelling at her. Like, you guys, you and my other friends were outside my house last night in ski masks trying to scare me. She totally is like, he's obviously on cocaine. And she runs up to her room crying. And then he comes up to, like, comfort her and then goes back back down to the garage to keep moving shit and then she goes to the garage to help him and she says he's like really distant and now they're in a fight again. That's when I realized it was cocaine because he wasn't in his right mind. I could tell when he started talking like that. I just started crying and I went into my room. I feel like you and I have lived this exact thing without the drugs. Yeah, with no drugs. (laughs) 
So that same day, just a couple hours after this, like, fight at Suzanne's house, we are now, like, in the home of a woman. And she's washing the dishes. And she's, like, looking out at her, like, backyard, which, like, abuts the woods, like, the tree line. And Christopher describes it. He says, When a woman in a house off Pound Hill Road in Northport is startled by a young man erupting from the woods into her yard. She calls her husband over. A young man erupted from the woods. That is fucking terrifying to me. Yeah. That may as well be Bigfoot, girl. Yeah. Like, which I'm sure the people of Maine see Bigfoot all the fucking time on those country roads and in their backyards and shit. If I saw some guy stumbling out of the woods, I would suddenly be a gun owner. And so... <laughs> So she's saying, like, she calls her husband over. The husband goes outside to see what's wrong with this guy. It's Jeremy. He is a fucking mess. The husband went over, saw that Jeremy was in a distressed condition. He was, uh, according to the witnesses, hallucinating, in a panic, not acting normal, very frightened. And he's got money in his hand. He's got cash in his hands. And he's saying the bad guys are trying to get him. And this poor guy is just trying to enjoy his Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and he's got like a fistful of cash. And he's saying, here, take my money. That way you'll help me. And he was like panicked. He was just saying the bad guys are trying to hurt me. Now, the woman knew who Jeremy was because the woman worked at his high school. Yeah. And so she was easy to identify him. She's like, that is Jeremy Alex from Belfast High School. So she went to go call the cops and he... He panics and he yeah. darts back into the woods. That's a, it's so scary. I know. Who goes into the woods on purpose? Yeah, I mean, we don't know. And he didn't stick around long enough to like answer any questions. He just like <laughs> panicked and ran. So that happened on Sunday night. Remember, the cops find the van on Sunday. And then on Monday, Ted and Suzanne, the parents, they show up and there's like an all hands on deck search. All the dogs and some of the searchers have a tracking devices on them. They'll search a grid area. After the search, everything will be downloaded in a computer. They'll look at areas that might not have been searched, research them, and then go to the next grid area. Right, and Suzanne and the friends have already been kind of doing their own pseudo search in the woods. We see like a reenactment of the friends doing a search in the woods, and then it cuts to actual news footage. No, no, no. There is six seconds of actual <laughs> news footage, and there is yeah. a visual of a burly bearded man with a plaid shirt <laughs> that's just unbuttoned. Right. And I was like... A uh, guy named Patrick. Yeah, okay, why don't we choose the guy with the no shirt on? Yeah, no, that's that's the one he chose for us. He's just a guy with, with his shirt open. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it'll make sense in the final edit, I promise. There was two and a half hours worth of footage. No, we're going to stay. We're going to use that part. Moving on. Uh, okay. I was like, why is there just a shirtless, plaid, bearded... Like a hot Santa. Like just like slow motion <laughs> drinking a lager, like a main ass lager. Oh, now I want a main ass lager and a grilled cheese. It's going great. And the thing about this search in the woods is that the stepmom is really suspicious of all the friends. Oh, the oh, all of a sudden. Wait, so Jeremy's stepmother, who was like serene as shit five minutes ago, who was like, yes, there's yes. nothing to really worry about. Horrific things. Right. All of a sudden does Everyone's a 180 a and she is Patrick. And I'm not mad at her. I'm just confused. But she's all of a sudden overcome with worry. I was like, all of a sudden, 
stepmom Susan is not here for your bullshit. She has a tone and she will kill the shit out of you. She will turn this car around. Like she really thinks one of them did it. And you can see it in the, re- like, yeah. you can see it in the interviews today. She really believes one of these fucking people is involved. Now, I literally said, if you know something, this is becoming life and death for Jeremy. If he's out there, it's cold. We don't have a lot of time. If he's not and something bad happened to him, you have to let us know. She was like, if you guys know something, you have to tell us his life is in danger. And she looks at the camera and she goes, no one told us anything. Listen, she got pissed real fast. I know. She's a down bitch. And so this is where we see more old news footage of the dad, Ted. He was hot, girl. Yeah, uh, he honestly gets better with age. So I know. <laughs> At one point, he's talking about renting a helicopter. And I was like, oh, it's got a little warm in here. <laughs> where do you go? Do you go to like Sonoma when you rent a helicopter? <laughs> Which coast do you and Ellen prefer to ski on? I'm okay. just curious. Listen, I can't <laughs> cheat on Fred Murray. Don't worry about it. I know. Oh. I know. So now we're back with Suzanne and Suzanne tells us that like when the cops were going to like look through the house, she did go there to try to cover up any sort of evidence of drug use. We knew that he smoked pot, but never, you know, uh, heroin and cocaine. And, and, and that's what Susie had found and flushed down the toilet was, you know, heroin and cocaine. Those drugs obviously took their toll on him. Paranoid is a word that we heard a lot about his behavior the last uh, two or three days. She was afraid that, like, Jeremy was going to be found and then he'd get in trouble for all the drugs. And I was just kind of like, girl, I know you think you're being a down bitch, girl, but sometimes being a down bitch, like, if you don't do it the right way, you're not. You're being an unhelpful bitch. I know. And this actually comes up a couple times with Suzanne and with the other friends. I get it. You're scared. They were, like, scared as shit. They were like, are we going to get in trouble? But you just have to tell everybody everything. Exactly. If you want to throw away the drugs, that's fine. But like, you know, Suzanne's been sitting on this secret that he was doing cocaine and heroin. We need to know, girl. Yeah. You gotta tell people, sis. I know. It's just how I talk now. I know. It's just how I talk now. But it's part of your vernacular. I accept yeah. it. But yeah, he wasn't in his right mind and nobody knew that except for her. But I wanted to say too that like, the reason why I think it's important that Suzanne had told everybody that he was on drugs is because remember when they came back from snowboarding and then they separated and he was going to do drugs? Yeah. This woman comes forward and is like, A friend of Jeremy's tells the Alex's that she spent Friday night, the night before Jeremy disappeared, doing drugs with him at the house in Northport. They had stayed up most of Friday night. They were doing cocaine and they were doing heroin. She left Saturday morning. When she left, she, you know, was concerned that Jeremy should stop. This woman comes forward and is like, yeah, I was up with him all night doing cocaine and heroin. Cocaine? And heroin. I mean, we, we're saying that because it's the information, but yeah. cocaine and heroin. I know. I mean, it's just crazy. I know. And, you know, the woman even says that, like, when she left on Saturday morning, I was like, girl, you should stop. You should stop. But, like, he probably didn't. Yeah. And remember, when that woman leaves, he keeps doing the drugs. That's when he goes to Suzanne's house and freaks out. Right. Then a couple hours later, winds up in that lady's backyard saying the bad guys are chasing him. Like, you can do enough drugs that you have a psychotic break. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You can be friends with Ellen long enough that you have a psychotic break. Was that the way the story goes? (laughs) Did you know him? (laughs) So May 2nd, another official search begins. And remember his hippie friend, Kathy, the one who said he had the smiling, happy eyes? The one with the gorgeous cabin who probably could buy and sell all of us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She says... (laughs) Jeremy was an extremely resourceful individual and clever, very clever. I think he could have survived, absolutely. Yes, 
I do. You know, she says he was resourceful and she was very adamant. She said, I believe he could have survived. And I was like, Kathy, I know you mean well, but like, okay, can you take it easy on Kathy? Take it, go no, easy on no, Kathy. No, shut the fuck up. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Let me t- oh my God. No, he could, she's justifying the fact that he could like survive outside. So I did a side goog on the weather in April in Maine in 2004. Yeah. So <laughs> did you consult the farmer's almanac? I, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> During that weekend, there was a low of 28 degrees and an average of 37 degrees. On April 27th, the average was 36 degrees. Like you can't. It's literally 36 degrees in New York City right now. You can't survive outside. I hate the cold and that is cold as shit. That's so cold. My sweaters have sweaters. Like, no, that is cold. (laughs) So the fact that Kathy was like, he's fine. He's like an outdoorsy guy. Yeah. No, no, no. We're dealing with someone who is not in his right mind. Don't say he went on some little boy scout exploration uh-huh. and he's going to be okay in 28 degree weather. No, he's not. Because I'm glad to hear you say that because I have a note that says, oh, I would be dead in 15 minutes. Yeah. Like, I would have a full belly and a canteen full of vodka and I'd still be dead in 15 minutes. Anyone seen Patrick? <laughs> she's probably dead. She's probably dead. It's she's fine. Probably dead. Sing something from Rent at her funeral. She loved that. <laughs> but I have another note here that says I shouldn't even be allowed to go to parks. <laughs> It's real dangerous, girl. Real dangerous for me. It's true, but I just think it's so counterproductive. He could have survived. (laughs) No, he didn't go camping, sis. (laughs) I'm sorry. Kathy means well, but like, honestly, her check engine light's coming on. But I will also say that if her cabin is on Airbnb, I'm booking it when the world goes back to normal. That shit's beautiful. Absolutely. Kathy, call us. Um, (laughs) So now we learned that they get a tip from a motorist who saw Jeremy on this road called Pound Hill Road, and she saw him talk talking to two men in a red truck. And this stepmom was like, That was a, a truck of interest. The police talked about it, and we were hopeful that it meant something. Well, that was a truck of interest. Yeah. And like, well, <laughs> she literally says that was a truck of interest. Okay, Susan. Okay, Susan. You know, like, I really like Susan. You know what I think about Susan? I bet she's really good at wrapping Christmas gifts. Oh. She's real good. All those tight, flat corners. She's yeah. Real, she's real good. At, she's, she's a real type A. Yeah, she probably makes really good banana bread. I bet. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why. I just feel like her banana yeah. bread would be killer. Yeah. But this woman saw them on that Saturday. So remember, like, Friday night, he's up all night doing cocaine and cocaine and heroin with some girl. Then he goes bananas on Saturday morning. And then he's out. And they think that he's buying drugs from this truck. So, like, Jeremy's on a real fucking bender, you guys. Like, if this is true, this is not good news. Right. And I appreciate that, like, Hot Dad Ted is, like, starting to be pretty realistic. He's like, okay. As the time progressed, we were questioning whether he was actually lost in the woods or if somebody had done something to him. Maybe he owed money to somebody. Maybe they owed money to him. I I don't know, but if you put two and two together, that's sort of what you come up with. He was not well. Maybe he took off. Maybe he's involved with drugs. I appreciate now that Suzanne has finally come forward. I mean, we're not going to talk about that. Like a couple days were lost and we could, you know, whatever. But we are being realistic now. So you guys, months and months are going by. Six months after the disappearance. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet? Oh God. (laughs) We're about to meet a down bitch named Wayne Drinkwater, you guys. (laughs) 
So Wayne Drinkwater, who owns a soup and sandwich shop in Maine, I think Wayne's got it figured out. That sounds like a pretty good life, if you ask me. Um. Also, again, I'm starving. I, I soup and sandwich. That is my ideal go-to. Tomato soup and grilled cheese on a cold day. Get out of uh, town. Get out of town. Give it to me any day. Wayne is telling us, and he's like, again, sitting by the tree line of some forest, like Bigfoot isn't going to just walk out and fucking eat your ass, Wayne. Right. Sorry. I, I get really nervous about Bigfoot when I'm near the woods. That's a real thing. Honey, you know Bigfoot's not real, right? I don't agree with you. Okay. So you okay. remember before when we were talking about science? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I believe in Bigfoot. So Wayne is telling us that like this guy, this like disheveled guy who looks exactly like Jeremy Alex comes stumbling out of the woods. Wayne sees him and is like, I had seen the posters of Jeremy, but it looked just like Jeremy. And I asked him his name and he didn't seem to be there. He didn't seem to respond. And I came back to Belfast and I called the sheriff and I said, I think I found Jeremy. Oh my God. Uh, are you okay? What is your name? Like, this guy looks like he's been living in the woods for six months. This guy doesn't say a word. He walks right past Wayne. Wayne calls the cops and he's like, girl, I think I just found Jeremy Alex. Is that the way you he guys. talks? <laughs> How does he talk, girl? I see this guy coming out of the woods. <laughs> I swear it looks like Jeremy Alex. I go over to him. <laughs> I try and track to him. He's aloof as shit. <laughs> My sister Sharon was there. We're talking. We're saying, come in for a soup and sandwich. He doesn't do it. So I call the caps. I say, I think I found Jimmy Alex. Wait, his sister Sharon Bag of Bones? I, I don't know. I don't know their life. I don't know their family tree. Do you want to see if she has anything to say? Let me see if she's here. Sharon. What? <laughs> What's your brother's name? Wayne. Why? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> What's his last name, girl? Drink water. <laughs> what was it? Drink water. <laughs> we got different dads. <laughs> We're half brother and sister. It's a long story. I treat him like a blood brother, though. I only see him at Christmas. I really would give anything to go to the Bag of Bones drink water reunion. <laughs> The Bag of Bones drink water family get together. I think that would be amazing. Where did you guys have your last reunion? Panera Bread. <laughs> you guys all just showed up at a Panera Bread. Yeah, I love that broccoli cheddar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So the cops say to Wayne, they say to him, they're like, girl, here's the thing. That is a guy who looks exactly like Jeremy Alex. Yeah. And get this, you guys. The guy... His name is actually Jeremy, but they're all like, no, 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 it's not him. There just happens to be someone who looks very much like Jeremy, who has some mental health issues. In a cruelly ironic twist, the lookalike's name is also Jeremy. To which I wrote, you guys, if it looks like a Jeremy, it's lost in the woods like a Jeremy, and is actually called Jeremy, maybe we found him. <laughs> no? No. No, uh, yeah, I see that logic. <laughs> Don't you patronize me? So it's like years and years are passing. It's now four years. It's August 2008, and there's a new lead comes in. This guy sends an email to Jeremy's dad that says he has Jeremy's license and money. Now, 
How many times have we heard in episode after episode about like you put up a reward and you get all these crazy, horrible, awful people writing in with all these crazy tips and it never works out? You guys, this one's real. Yeah. So we meet this man, Jim Baker. He's a retired highway patrol officer and he owns a restaurant. By the way, I got to look it up. I want to go to this place. I mean, let's all go. I don't <laughs> And he's like running this little restaurant in Maine and he has got a story to tell. My best friend that lived uh, across the bay from us, um, Tim Dougal, he came in one night, started talking to me about how he had hit the big time or hit the jackpot because money was washing up on his beach. So this guy is friends with this guy, Jim, the restaurant owner. So this guy, Tim, shows up at the restaurant and he's like, hey, Jim, come over here. It's like raining money on my property. Look at this. Yeah. So like, he's basically saying we were like out on the beach and we found this, like it's our lucky day. Like we were in the money. And Jim, the restaurant owner is like, well, girl, then you're buying drinks for everyone tonight. And Tim goes, no, 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 That's not how it works. We find things on the beach and we keep it. And I went, it's a joke. Yeah. Can you lighten up, girl? Can you lighten up, Tim? girl. He did say that. And I thought, keep it. And no, no, no. They actually keep it like a souvenir. No, girl. They keep it like a fucking murder trophy. Like, that's really, like, it's not like, it's creepy as all fuck when we get there. Right. So, four years later. So, remember, the money was found right after Jimmy went missing. Four years later, we're at April 23rd, 2008. Tim is tragically killed in an accident, and his wife... Excuse me! What? Tim is tragically killed in an accident, and we're not going to talk about it for 20 minutes? Tim is... Honey, I I care about him too, but Tim is like a minor extra role <laughs> I, in this story. I know. But wait, they actually say freak accident, girl. Did they say freak accident? Yeah, was it a beachcombing accident? Did you like, did what? they say freak accident or are you yes. hearing things in the, no. your hyperbolic way that you like to tell stories? No, Christopher says freak accident. Almost four years to the day after Jeremy Alex disappeared, Jim's friend Tim is killed in a freak accident at his oceanfront property. Okay, I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> you guys! Tim is killed on his own property in a freak accident. And you're going to go right on past it like it's clam chowder night in the dining hall? I, wait. (laughs) Do you want me to go on with the story? What do you want me to do? I don't, I don't know what. Yes, here's what I want. Here's what I actually want. I would like you to go on with the story and come back to us next week with an update on what happened to Tim. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. Okay, Okay. great. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm glad. I I cut out of there by the skin of my teeth, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, all right. So, His wife asks Jim, now remember, Jim is the retired highway patrol officer, to come over, and he was like... And I remember asking her, guys, saved that money? And she says, oh, yeah, it's all in there, you know, buried under some sea glass, and along with the driver's license that we had found at the same time. It kind of caused me to pause, and I don't know if it's my background or what it was, but I instantly had this strange feeling. And I said, you know, did you guys ever contact anybody or anything? She said, no, we really didn't, you know, think about it. Like, oh, my gosh, there's that cash with all the sea glass that you've found beachcombing all these years. And he, she goes, yeah, uh-huh. And also the license that was with that cash. And Jim's like, mm, say what now? <laughs> That's like a fucking murder trophy. I'm not saying these people killed Jeremy. I don't think they did. But like, they found this money in his wallet and rather than doing anything with it, they put it in like a souvenir jar. Like, like, like a jar. jar. Yeah. Okay. Can people stop finding driver's licenses and not doing anything about it? Can we make that request? I know. Especially when this kid had just gone missing and like Jim, the restaurant owner is like, I'm going to take this license off your hands. Like, yeah, I remember the missing 
missing posters for this kid. Like, this is a missing person. Exactly. And we're going to learn, like, the dad is going to tell us later that, like, they had been putting up posters in the exact neighborhood where this couple lived that was holding onto this license. Like, right. this is not okay. If you guys find a fucking license, call the cops. Like, it could belong to a dead person. Yeah. And also, I don't know if you know this. Do you know that you can put a driver's license in a mailbox and it will get sent back to the person? Is that right? Yeah. Any other helpful tips for life you have? Are you wearing a wig? Welcome to my TikTok. No, that's my hair. Do you like it? I do like it. So, you know, the long and the short of it is like four years have gone by since Jeremy went missing. The dad gets the license back and he goes to the beach to see if there's anything else. I know. Hot dad Ted goes to the beach four years late. I can't. I know. And like you guys, like at the end of the day, like that's kind of it. They don't find any more. There's no more clues to be found on that beach. And there's really no information on like whatever happened to Jeremy. There's theories. There is so many theories, you guys. I went through so many Reddit rabbit holes. You know, there's a lot of theories. There's theories that he was murdered due to a drug deal gone wrong or maybe a drug debt. There was theories that he was having hallucinations due to the drug use or fell or jumped off a cliff and maybe drowned that way. And they were saying, The one piece that they do say is by the house where they found the license and the cash, like washing up on the beach. If he fell off the cliff right there, his body would have been sucked out into this channel that would have pulled it out into the ocean and they'll never find it. Like, to me, that seems like the most plausible answer. Yeah, I know. In small towns like this, if a guy gets murdered, somebody knows, like, it never stays secret this long. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I feel that believing the idea that foul play is involved is easier than accepting that your loved ones might have died by suicide or that there were warning signs or that there was a mental health issue that could have resulted in drug use. I mean, we just know that he was doing really, really hard drugs for like 48 hours straight. So like that shit is never going to lead you to a good place. And girls, give us the update on the hot dad. Yeah. So hot dad Ted started this beautiful fund called the Jeremy Alex Fund. And he started it as a way to healing and teach young people the dangers of drugs and the importance of good decisions. It is such an awesome organization. And further research into the fund, I found that he's responsible for chess appreciation because um, Jeremy loved chess. So he has a chess appreciation program, music scholarships, local activities such as cycling and snowboarding to give children the benefit of outdoor activities. It's honestly so beautiful. I also would just like to close by saying that this year has been so hard mental health wise for everyone. We've lost our jobs, our social circles. Some of us have lost our family. So if you are turning to drugs and substances right now, please know that this does not mean you have failed. It just means that you need more help. And if you do, there is help 24-7 at 1-800-662-4357 for anyone that is struggling. And if you know somebody who's struggling, please treat them with compassion because everybody is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So be nice, goddammit. Say something funny. Well, I have to go fight a battle of traffic to get to the Panera for the drink water bag of bones reunion before they run out of the cheddar broccoli. Party out! I ate it all, you creep magnet! <laughs> bow, 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 bow. Oh my God, you guys, it was Disappeared Season 3, Episode 6. Um, All right, girl, let's make an announcement. Oh my God, are we going to do it? Is this real? Is Here this we go. real? Is this real? You guys, our Patreon is launching ah! on... It's launching the day our episode goes live on Tuesday, January 13th. We will give you more details later. It's going to be all kinds of bonus episodes and a really, really fun community thing we're going to do once a month. Uh, so just put that on your radar. 
Tuesday the 13th, Patreon for Obsessed with Disappeared. You guys, join the Facebook group. Join the Facebook group. We are there. I am there way, way too much. Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. We are on Instagram at The Disappeared Pod. I am on Instagram at Ellen Marsh. I'm also on TikTok. Don't make that face. <laughs> it's Ellen Marie Marsh. Patrick is on Instagram at Patrick Hines underscore. And I think we're both on Twitter, but just Google us, whatever. Yeah, so I think it's really great that you now have decided it's more important to tell your own TikTok information before reminding the people about Friday Night Live? Uh, I stand by that. I stand by that. Yep. <laughs> you guys, every Friday night at 6 o'clock Eastern on the Instagram, we go live. It's really fun. I really do just make fun of Ellen and she kind of just tolerates it. She always looks amazing. I always look like me. Oh, you are my hot <laughs> dummy. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're my hot dummy. All right, we love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. You say something like that, like, mm. like I'm the one acting out of pocket. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. What's out of pocket mean, sis? Like it's my fault. Okay. <laughs> Is that too vulgar? Are you going to have to cut that? No, I'm, I don't come to where you work and slap the dick out of your mouth. That is staying in, girl. <laughs> I don't care if it's too vulgar. I don't know where that came from. Oh I'm sure God. I heard that in a, in a 90s rom-com sometimes. Steve, we got another T-shirt. <laughs> We're in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And I said, girl, isn't that your favorite town? No, that's Portland, Maine. Oh. You listen when I talk? Do you, are you here? I feel like it's a well-established fact that I am not. Yeah. Yeah, are you, when, did you get nominated for that monologue or? or you know, I, do you know what's funny? Um, I know it's hard for you to recognize feeling and emotion because you're, <laughs> you've got a heart of goddamn stone. Mm-hmm. But that's what feeling and emotion feels and looks like. Mm. Okay, great. If you could see how close I am to his face in the in the FaceTime, you guys. <laughs> really didn't need that close up this early in the morning. If ever a boy in a van offers you a ride, remember what they do in there. All they do is fart. Boys are disgusting. Right. There's a very, very fine line between like deadbeat and deadhead. Ooh, I just put that together. Good on me. <laughs> Wow, I really, really made that about me. That was good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you turn a podcast into your own goddamn therapy session. Oh, my God. Do you think anyone's still listening? No. No. Oh, my God. You guys, we are we have seen this five times. It's like we don't even need to talk about it. We've like we we I feel like we've lived it. A guy said we're at just say August 2008. It's August 2008. And great job. (laughs) 